If you want to dive into your self-doubt and unhook yourself from its sticky clutches, then your self-belief map could be just the thing. This is my group coaching program. It begins on October the 2nd and is open for enrollment right now. Past participants say this is wildly effective and downright life-changing. So if this sounds like you, please zip over to courageandspice.com for all the details. If you've ever walked into a meeting or a networking event or even a neighbour's barbecue and felt that belly-churning dread that at some point everyone here is going to find out who you really are, then this episode is just for you. We are talking about the secrets and lies of feeling like an imposter. Welcome to Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'm your host, Sass Petherick. Today I wanted to talk to you about one of the more insidious aspects of self-doubt, the feeling that you are an imposter in your own life. Now you might experience this as a sense that underneath everything you're a bit of a fraud or you're just waiting to be found out. So many people carry around this belief that somehow being you is not enough. It's a bugger of a thing. It holds us back from so many things. Simple stuff like just expressing your opinions and preferences to wider things like claiming your creativity or celebrating the things you are naturally good at. I cannot tell you how many women I coach with who feel like this every day. So if this sounds like you, you are so not alone. We're going to get underneath this whole impostering experience today. And I'm also going to share with you a handy little process for how you can begin to shift your approach to feeling like an imposter. But first, a history lesson, because I think it can be super helpful just to see where these ideas originated. So way back in 1978, Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Susan Eames, both clinical psychologists, first formulated the imposter complex. Now they were attempting to describe and understand the feelings and responses of people who, despite evidence of their competence, were unable to claim their accomplishments or internalize their own success. Now, I've spent a long time over the years reading Clance and Eames' research and some of the things that came from that, uh, and, and I've boiled down their research findings into a, a sort of digestible list to see if you can recognize yourself in their characteristics that they found most people who describe feeling like an imposter uh, will experience. So here's the list. Believing that other people have an overinflated view of you and your capability. Believing you will inevitably let everybody down. Attributing any success to luck. Believing that your ability to do something negates the value of it. Feeling fearful pretty constantly of being found out and a tendency for catastrophic thinking about the consequences of any mistake. Sound familiar? Now, if I can be so bold, I also wanted to add an additional characteristic to Clance and Eames research, and that's just from my own experience of working with women around this topic uh, and my own master's research. So what I found is that the people who would describe feeling like an imposter also identify with feeling like an outsider. 
So somehow they're different. They don't fit in with the group, the tribe or the team. Uh, They feel separate from or on the edges of the mainstream. So hopefully what you are starting to see is the picture of feeling like an imposter, where it originated from, how it tends to manifest itself, and what it's like to experience that. And this helps us to just get a view of what we believe around 70% of the population experience. I think sometimes just understanding how this shows up for, for everybody helps us to make sense of our own experience. And what I'm also hoping that you're able to see is why this is so closely related to our experience of self-doubt, is that underneath all of these characteristics and the way that feeling like an imposter shows up is this core belief that somehow who we are is not enough and there will be dire consequences if anyone ever found out who we really are. It sounds like a fun way to live, right? So this episode is entitled The Secrets and Lies of Feeling Like an Imposter. So let's start with the secret. Anyone who experiences feeling like an imposter will tell you that it feels like carrying around a dirty little secret that deep down I'm a fraud. If you really knew me, you'd know I just got lucky. It's only a matter of time before this ends. I'm not doing anything original or special. These are the thoughts that tend to be how we talk to ourselves when we're inside the imposter complex. Sounds like a party, doesn't it? (laughs) And the worst part of this is it has a kind of built-in paradox because the big fear is about being found out. So we're going to be in no rush to admit that this is how we feel to anyone, sometimes even ourselves. Now what can happen is that the people who do feel courageous enough to speak up and just admit this will often do so first with the people they love and trust the most. And of course those folks are the ones that are going to say, don't be ridiculous, you're amazing. And while lovely and well-meaning, these responses can exacerbate our feelings of fraudulence because our loved and trusted people just join the ranks of all the people we have fooled. It can become a case of there's no safe place to say this is actually how I really feel. And so we tend to keep our impostery feelings secret in order to protect ourselves. Now let's look at the three big lies of feeling like an imposter and see if we can't begin to shine a light on how this self-doubty monster kind of works. So the first big lie is that feeling like an imposter is a woman's experience. Now, as I said before, Clance and Eames' original study was published in 1978. Now, this coincided with the second wave of feminism. Women were out in the workforce in greater numbers and, importantly, in leadership roles in greater numbers for the first time. Now, their study, the original study, had all women research subjects. And so when the media got hold of the story, it became a gendered story, a gendered experience, and arguably contained a thinly veiled backlash warning to women, look at what happens to you when you go for the big jobs. But it's simply untrue that feeling like an imposter is a woman's experience. 
And there is a very well-respected Dutch researcher and psychoanalyst, Manfred Ketz de Vries, who works primarily with men and men in the kind of high-octane world of banking, finance and medicine. And his research has found that anyone who works in a role where the appearance of intelligence is vital to success is likely to experience some symptoms of imposter complex. Now, DeVries also suggests that men may be more reluctant than women to express their experience and are less likely to have safe places where they can talk about their emotions. So he believes that for some men, they have a more acute experience of feeling like an imposter. And we only have to look at the worrying rise of instances of depression in men and the horrifying statistics of male suicide in all Western countries to acknowledge that the consequences of this are pretty tragic. But because all of us only have access to our own experience, it's easy to mistakenly conclude that it's only happening to you. So all of us that are keeping the sensation of feeling like an imposter secret are kind of also hiding it from each other. And so we can all feel like we're in this on our own when actually we're all in this together. But all of the research suggests that some, if not most of us, will experience some form of feeling like an imposter through our lives. And this is just not an experience limited to women. Okay, the second lie of feeling like an imposter is that if you feel like one, then you probably aren't one. And I suspect this was started by Bertrand Russell, who said that the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. It's a really tempting idea to buy into, but I don't think it's true. And the reason for that is that often the more we burrow ourselves down that rabbit hole of feeling like an imposter, the harder it is to ask for help when we genuinely feel out of our depth. And what usually happens, particularly in our Western culture, is that the fake it till you make it approach is the one that we turn to. And of course, when we're faking it, we are actually being an imposter. Now, this is not to say that trying things out, experimentation, giving things a red hot go aren't excellent approaches because they absolutely are. But there is a world of difference between taking action that is all about avoiding vulnerability and action that is about being in the unknown. And if we're avoiding that vulnerability by just faking it, we can create this double-edged sword where not only are we afraid of being found out as a fraud, we know we're actually being one. So this brings us to the third and final lie that we're going to look at today. And arguably, this is the most disappointing one. And this is that the cure to feeling like an imposter is becoming more successful. And I know you know this, right? But it's really important, I think, to acknowledge that it is highly unlikely that you will reach a level of success, be that fame or fortune or however you choose to define this, and that you will magically feel completely different about yourself, your work, how you show up to the world, and how that is received by other people. Now, I feel like I need to come clean and say that I have done this my whole life. I've totally bought into this lie. So when I was in the corporate world working as a management consultant, 
uh, I used to tie my worth and value to the number I made in my bonus because that was how that culture uh, expressed your value. Then when I started my own business, it became how many subscribers to the newsletter do you have? How many social media followers? And I guess there's nothing wrong with these, uh, these experiences in and of themselves. But it's when we tie our value, our worth, our sense of who we are uh, to these external sources of validation and believe that somehow when we reach a certain number that that is going to magically transform who we are and how we feel about ourselves, that's when we kind of get a bit sticky. Now, I had to laugh because I recently just crossed over a, a kind of big zero number on my Instagram followers, and I could feel myself going, oh, what does this mean? How exciting. And I had to kind of pull myself back and go, okay, actually, it means kind of nothing, but it is lovely. It's lovely to enjoy it and to know that what you're creating is being received. But because I have a reasonably healthy sense of self-belief, it becomes a kind of neutral experience. So you start to unhook yourself from both criticism and praise. And I think that gets you into a bit more healthy territory. Now, what can happen and is actually quite likely to happen, particularly if you have an experience of feeling like an imposter and it's pretty deep, is that the more successful you become, the more you're going to actually feel that sense of being an imposter. And this makes sense, right? Because there's just more to lose, more risk of being found out. There's now new and different ways to be judged and found wanting. I'm going to be speaking with my good pal Sarah Tasker about this very specific issue of self-doubt and success in next week's episode. So I really hope you'll tune in for that. Sarah is frank and generous and vulnerable and it's such an interesting conversation. So if success doesn't help with feeling like an imposter, then how the hell do we get over it? What do we have to do to stop feeling like this? Well, it's a great question and I actually think it's the wrong one because what if we decided that feeling like an imposter is not actually something we need to get over? The reason I ask that is because I found that resisting it, finding ways to deny the truth of our feelings or looking for tactics that we can use to white knuckle our way through always feels quite horrible. So I'm always paying attention to that. If it doesn't feel good to me, I know that I need to find a different way. And we know from research that around 70% of people experience feeling like an imposter. It's a really pretty universal experience. So what if this is meant to be part of being human? What if it has a use? Now, I found this question quite intriguing. And what I've come to see feeling like an imposter as is a natural symptom of growth. And here's why I believe this to be true. Just look at where feeling like an imposter crops up in the workplace, whether that's as an employee or running your own business or socially when we're navigating friendships and relationships with other people. These are contexts where we're expressing our creativity and seeking connection. Now, this is what we are hardwired for as humans. And whenever we are doing these things, whenever we are expressing our creativity, whenever we're seeking connection, we are taking risks. We are taking risks around rejection, disappointment and failure. And when we are taking any psychological risk, we are learning. 
So perhaps our experience of feeling like an imposter is not evidence that we are unworthy or not enough. Maybe it's just evidence that we are learning, that we are all works in progress. Now, changing how I came to understand feeling like an imposter to this approach has really, really helped me to make peace with it. And I've developed this three-step process that I want to share with you now and that I have shared with lots of clients that can really help when you're going into situations that kind of spark up those impostery feelings. If nothing else, it's going to give you something to do. (laughs) Now, there's a worksheet available in the show notes that you can use to go through this uh, if you just prefer to write things down. Okay, so there's three steps to this process. Now, the first step is to choose a specific instance that you want to experiment with. This could be a meeting at work or a family gathering, but get specific. This really matters because it creates a focus rather than having that amorphous cloud of everything and always, which self-doubt loves because it's so intangible. When we get specific, we start to get some actual facts on the table and it can really help to change and shift our thinking. Now to help bring this process to life I'm going to take the real life example of uh, a client called Audrey that's not her real name but uh, this is a real example. So Audrey is a financial controller who works in the fashion industry and the rest of her team are sales and marketing folks. Now, her specific instance is about presenting a monthly financial report to the rest of her team. And usually when Audrey's doing this, she describes feeling tongue-tied and like she's boring everybody. So she tends to rush through or skim over complicated information. And she really worries that if anyone who really understood the numbers started questioning her, she would be found out. And for Audrey, this is a belief that will inevitably result in her being fired and the utter unraveling of her life will follow, okay? So the first step is to choose a specific instance. Step two is to choose your intention for that instance. So getting clear about your intentions for how you want to feel can be so powerful for giving you this anchor that can keep you steady. Now, so many of us try either really hard not to think about that event because it causes us to feel this horrible impostery feeling, or we sort of blindly wander in and hope for the best. But I think having that approach of an intention can really help. And it helps us to also remember that we cannot control anything outside of what we think and feel and do and say. So when I asked Audrey how she wanted to feel in this meeting, she came up with three words, calm, articulate and helpful. Right, so that's kind of where you want to get to. Name two or three emotions, how you want to feel in this specific instance. So now you have your instance, your, your specific context that you're going to experiment with, and you have two to three emotions of how you want to feel, that these are intentions that you can carry into the meeting with you or into this event with you. And the third step is the key one, which is to identify your resources. And the thing about feeling like an imposter is that it always takes us away from ourselves, away from our center. So we 
can often attribute any success to luck. We adopt the characteristics we think will help us to be accepted. We don't feel like it's safe to be ourselves. So we often ignore or dismiss the resources that we already possess. So in identifying your resources, you just want to consider your intention and ask yourself two questions. Why does this matter? And what evidence can I find that I already possess these resources? Now, the reason for this is that then you aren't being an imposter, you're just being you, okay? So let me take this further with the example of Audrey. She wants to feel calm, articulate and helpful. So I asked her, why does it matter to her to to feel these uh, intentional feelings? And you may just want to brainstorm this, which is what Audrey and I did. So she wants to feel calm so she can be really present and not tied up in her own thoughts and feelings. She wants to help translate quite dry financial information for the sales and marketing colleagues that she really cares about. She wants to feel prepared for any questions that come from her manager. She wants to feel like she's a safe pair of hands in the team. And mostly she wants to feel useful, that her work helps her teammates. Right, so these are all just ways that we started to look at why it matters to Audrey to feel these three intentional feelings, calm, articulate and helpful. And she came up with a fantastic list. Uh, So then we want to look at the evidence she already has that she is calm, articulate and helpful. And so we started to probe into this a little more. And Audrey was able to say, well, actually, she feels really calm working with numbers, mostly because they are predictable and quiet. And she also appreciates how they tell a story. So we talked about how she could tell the story in a way that would help her to feel articulate and helpful. And Audrey came up with all these ideas and the upshot being that she decided to use graphs and colors to translate the numbers story. And she got really clear about the key messages that the team needed to know. And she wanted to talk to a friend of hers who is in the sales team to sort of test that material out on her friend and get some feedback. So she was able to come up with all of these ways that she could feel articulate, calm, helpful. She could experiment before the meeting, which would help her feel really prepared. And she already had those resources available. She had this beautiful way of describing the numbers as telling a story. And that was a kind of key into how she could show up to that meeting. And the important part here is that it's not about inventing anything or pretending to be someone you're not. It's about leaning into your existing resources, the experiences and skills and qualities and values that you already have so that you can start to own them. So just to recap, you choose a specific instance where you usually feel like an imposter. Set your intention. How do you want to feel? Just choose two or three main emotions that can act as an anchor for you. And then identify your resources, look at your intention, ask yourself, why do these feelings matter? And find evidence that you already have everything you need. So I'd love you to try this out and let me know how you get on. You can subscribe, rate and review Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.